0: Scripture passage for today's message comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 9 through 20. Luke 20, verses 9 through 20. And I'll ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. Beginning at verse 9. He, that is Jesus, went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants, so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather together as your people, to worship you, to hear from your word, to receive your gifts. And God, I pray that as we dive into your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit would be present, that you would enlighten us, that you would reveal what we need to see, God, because we don't have the eyes of faith to see it on our own. Once again, we find ourselves in desperate need of you. So I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. I thought it would be fun to start out this morning with a little bit of movie trivia. Name that film. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you couldn't miss it. What do you got? Who said that? Yes, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Classic. 1980s film, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. The reason I mention this is because this character typifies someone who does not like authority, someone who wants nothing to do with authority figures in his life at all. Basically, the idea here, the whole plot revolves around this guy, Ferris, who is uh, He's, he's kind of a rebel, right? So he wants to skip school. He pretends that he's sick. He fakes his sick, and then his parents, they kind of wait on him, and they're like, oh, poor baby, And so he doesn't have to go to school that day. This is, I think it's his senior year. Is that right? I don't know. He's in high school at some point. Anyway, and he, uh, so he, he calls up his friend, and he gets his friend to come with him, and his girlfriend skips school, too, and the three of them, they jump into his friend uh, Cameron, his friend Cameron's dad's Ferrari, right? They take his Ferrari out on the road and they go into Chicago for the day, skipping school. And they're in a parade and they do all sorts of nonsense and and get into all sorts of hijinks and, and things like that. And Ferris wants nothing to do with authority. He doesn't want to listen to his parents. He doesn't want to listen to his teachers. He doesn't want to listen to anybody in any position of authority. And you can see the struggle going on in many different ways throughout the film. And the most powerful scene in this film comes at the very end with Ferris's friend Cameron. It kind of turns out that much of the film is about him. So they return his dad's Ferrari, his, his beloved Ferrari that he doesn't really drive much, but, but he loves his car more than anything. And they park it in the garage. And his dad doesn't know about it, at least they think. But then he looks at the odometer oh no, dad's going to, he's going to know that I drove this because he keeps track of that. And now the, the numbers have gone up. So he's going to know we took his car out. Man, what do we do? So Ferris comes up with this idea. He says, well, put the car up on blocks and run it in reverse because that'll take the miles off the odometer. They're, just, they're desperate for anything. So he does it and he he turns on the, the car again and they start running it back where he realizes this isn't gonna work, it's not gonna it's not gonna fix the problem. And in this scene, Cameron just loses it. He just he just loses it. He's fed up with his dad, who loves the car more than him. He's fed up with the way that he doesn't stand up for himself in life. And so what does he do? He he kicks that car and he kicks it again, and the car goes off the blocks into reverse shoots out a window, like a whole glass wall, and lands down in the woods below. You can imagine the expression that's on his face when this happens. Cameron and Ferris, they want nothing to do with authority. And authority figures are not something that, I don't know about you, but I can identify with this, not necessarily something that I want or even think that I need in my life, right? So as we walk through today's text, which is, is very much about this idea of authority and the authority of Jesus being questioned, That's, that this, this parable follows on the heels of Jesus' authority being questioned, I want you in your own minds to, to think about someone in your life who was an authority figure. When you hear the word authority figure, think back maybe to your childhood. Maybe it was a, a coach, maybe it was a teacher, maybe it was a parent, I don't know. But authority figure, who would that be in your life? Bear that in the back of your minds because we're going to come back to it today. The parable of the wicked tenants is the story Jesus tells this morning. And it's not a particularly sunshiny parable, not that all of them are. But this one in particular, it gets pretty dark. Basically what happens is this guy owns a vineyard, right? And he does this thing where he lends it out to tenants, and they're going to take care of the vineyard, they're going to work the land, they're going to harvest the crops, and then when it comes time for harvest season, he gets to reap the benefits of that, right? This was kind of a common situation. He owned it, and so uh, he didn't necessarily live there. In fact, he moved far away. He went a long way off, and he lent it to these tenants. So harvest time comes, and he sends... A servant to go and collect some of the produce, some of the fruit of the vineyard, it says. And he sends this, this first messenger. And what do they do? Well, they, they beat him up and they throw him out. And they send another one and beat him up, throw him out. Same thing. And then a third one, he, they beat him up, treat him poorly, throw him out. And the, the owner gets an idea at that point. He says, look, I'm going to send my son because if I send my son... You know, he's an heir. At least they're going to. Maybe, maybe they will respect him. He sends his son. The servants, the tenants, seeing this, they conspire together and they start to hatch a plan. And they say, hold on a second. This guy is the heir. Right? This is the guy who will inherit the vineyard from his father. Let's kill him. And then... The vineyard will be ours. Now, what's the logic there? Because I know that's not the way it works today. If my landlord wants to collect rent and I hire a hitman to take out his son, I don't automatically get to keep the house, right? That's just bizarre what's going on. Well, there was this thing that that happened. that basically if the landlord made no claim on the land for three years straight, if he didn't make any move to collect rent, then it would kind of revert to squatter's rights. So that means the, the tenants would basically be able to operate as the owners if he didn't come and, and collect his share of the produce. And so that's what they want to happen, but the son coming is going to jeopardize this, right? And they don't want that. So they say, well... Let's kill him, let's take care of him. That's kind of what's happening, what's going on here, is they want nothing to do with the authority of the owner. They want to kick the owner out. They want to be able to decide what is best for the vineyard. They want to be the ones in charge, the ones in control. No interest in submitting to the authority of the owner. In fact, they'd rather kill His Son than submit to His authority. And that's the law for us today. We would rather murder the Son of God than submit to His authority. See, there's a a passage, I'll I'll read it to you. It's from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 3. This is a, a messianic passage. It's talking about Jesus. It says, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. John talks about this elsewhere in in his gospel where he says, the light came into the world, but men love darkness more than the light. We wanted nothing to do with the light. We wanted nothing to do with Jesus. We wanted nothing to do with someone who comes in and says, I actually have jurisdiction here. And so rather than submit to them and relinquish control, we murder them. You and I, are guilty of killing the Son of God. Now, why would we do this? What is it that that, that, that motivates this, that's, that's behind this rejection of authority? Well, I think there's a number of, of different factors, different reasons that, that we do this. One is just human pride, right? Man, I don't know about you, but like those tenants in the vineyard, I want to have it my way. I want to have it my way. I want to be the one to, to, to claim to claim rulership over every aspect, every square inch of my own life. It's this inward turn that we have as, as human beings. As we're turned in upon ourselves. We want what's best for us. So spiritual pride, that's one. I think another one is fear. Because... Submitting to someone else's authority, what that means is that we have to lose control. (laughs) That's a scary thing. I don't want that. I want to be the one captaining my own ship and mastering my own destiny. I don't want to let somebody else do that. It's a scary thing. Spiritual pride, fear. And another reason we tend to reject the Son of God is that little Pharisee on our shoulders. That tiny little Pharisee that tells us, that that tiny little, little part of us that wants to have some claim to the fruit of the vineyard, to claim that this is our own, to claim that these good works that I am doing, I did that. This is some sort of currency I can give God, a spiritual resume to say, look, look what I did. This is my fruit. I worked for it. I'm the one that put the blood, sweat, and tears into this. I should reap the rewards. There's all sorts of reasons we might do this, and there's all sorts of spheres of our own lives where we do this. So I invite you just to reflect on your own life. And to consider the question, in what area of my life am I rejecting Jesus' authority? In what area of my life do I find myself saying, God, you can come here, but no further? What part of your heart do you feel the need to guard God against entering, to claim jurisdiction, to claim authority? I think most of us can identify at least one of those areas for sure. Back to the authority figure, right? So you had this person in your mind from your childhood who was a, kind of an authority figure. For me, it was my high school football coach. He, uh, we only had him for a couple years, but man, this guy was tough as nails. His name, I kid you not, his name was Coach Yell. And he lived up to his name. Very much so. The guy was known for yelling at water boys. Like, not just the team. He would yell at the water boys if they didn't get off the bus quick enough. Uh, I was talking to my brother about this this morning, and he knows this because he was a water boy at that time. So he has some first-hand experience of Coach Yell and his his ways. But he was a a terrifying figure. He played for the Rams for two years. This guy, like an ex-NFL man who's just marching around and ordering you and yelling at you and you're, you're kind of terrified of, of this, someone with, with that much power and that much authority, and I think that's what it is about an authority figure that terrifies us so much, is how are they going to use the, this authority? Like, are they going to use it to their own benefit? Are they going to use the authority to intimidate? Are they going to use their authority to exploit those under them, those with less power, we see that all over the world and in our own hearts, every single, way, every single day of every single week. Here's how Jesus uses his authority. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. It's a very well known passage. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. It's talking about Christ Jesus. And it says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, this is how Jesus uses his authority. Not to demand his own rights, but to lay them down for you and for me. Not to his own advantage, not to to exploit those underneath him. But out of love for each and every one of us. He lays down that authority in order that we might benefit from it, from what He did all the way to the cross. In John 10, verse 18, Jesus says this, because here's the thing about Jesus laying down His authority, He's not coerced into it, right? Sometimes there's this argument made. People will say, well, you know, I can't believe in Christianity because I can't believe in a God who would send his own son to that cruel of a death. Like, what kind of a loving father would do that sort of thing? This is divine child abuse. Well, the difference is that Jesus was actually on board with this as well. It was his decision. He laid his life down willingly, not forcibly. Because we have this thing, we have to remember, there's this thing called the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when the Father acts, the Son and Holy Spirit are involved as well. So it's not as if the Father does something that the Son does not want. No, Jesus willingly lays his life down. Verse 18 of John chapter 10, "'No one takes it from me, "'but I lay it down of my own accord. "'I have authority to lay it down "'and authority to take it up again.' This command I received from my Father. We see this all over the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I don't do this on my own. I do it with the Father and I willingly do it. I submit to my Father's will. So if that's the law right here, We'd rather murder the Son of God than submit to His authority. Here is the gospel. Our own murderous hearts won't stop God from sending His Son to us. see, the, the sinful hearts of the tenants did not keep God from sending His Son to them. See, He sent His servants again and again and again because His forgiveness knows no limits. And He calls us to come before Him and to confess and to repent of our sins because whenever we do, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God had sent His Son, His one and only beloved Son for you and for me. I love what Chad Bird says about this particular parable. He says, This parable may illustrate the dark heart of sinners, but at its core, it's a revelation about the good and gracious heart of God The God of second chances, third chances, and yes, fourth chances, and even more. Nothing will stop God from coming to us. And how is it that God comes to us? Well, in our confirmation class, we've been talking about the means of grace. And if you you grew up taking confirmation or you're historically a Lutheran, you identify with this term, means of grace of grace. And we're going to participate in one of those means of grace today. It's actually a sacrament. We call it communion, the Lord's Supper. See, the God that we have doesn't just tell us that He's good. He doesn't just tell us He forgives us. He shows that to us in very real and tangible ways, ways we can see and taste and touch. And so in communion, We find out that this isn't just something that we do just because the church has always done it. No, this is something that God has explicitly commanded us in His Word to continue doing. Why? Because He is present in the elements. He is present there for you and for me. And with that in mind, I invite you to grab your bulletins and turn to the back of them right now. We've got a little bit of a a refresher here on on the Lord's Supper because we, it's easy to kind of get in the habit of of taking communion and and we totally forget, why do we do this? Like, what's the point? And so I think a lot of us have questions about communion and and hopefully this is a a good place to start uh, with some of those. So I'm just going to work my way through this little handout here, asking some pretty common questions. What is communion? Well, Jesus Himself answers this question at the Last Supper, speaking these words to his disciples, This is my body given for you, and this cup is the new covenant in my blood. In communion we celebrate and receive God's good gifts, forgiveness, a closer relationship with Christ, and strengthening in faith, hope, and love. What about can I take communion? Is it okay for me to to take communion or should I should I not? Well, you do not have to be a church member to participate here at Elam. Communion, though, is intended for those who recognize their own sinfulness and believe in Jesus as their Savior. It's our practice to serve those who have been properly instructed. For us, this is a confirmation class, right? We, we have this, this class where we teach kids just kind of the basics about the faith, the basics about communion. So it's just more of a common sense thing that, okay, when we've received some instruction... Then we take communion because there's a a call to examine ourselves. There's nothing in Scripture, we would love it if there were, that said, you must be this tall to ride the communion ride. You must be this, these many years old in order to uh, partake of communion. It doesn't. So what we do is, uh, as we follow Scripture and as far as uh, just generally a good practice, so it's been our tradition to, to do it that way. And then another question, you know, we think, well, am I worthy to to take communion? Like, what if I feel unworthy? What do I do about that? So Scripture warns against eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. This is why we pause for individual examination and confession. However, a sense of unworthiness is actually good if it leads us to reach out for the worthiness of Jesus. If you recognize your own need for forgiveness... You are welcome at the table. So if you've been with us for a while, you kind of know how this works. But if not, just a, a review. We'll ask you to remain seated. The elements will be distributed to you by rows. The elders will come forward and they will, they will serve you. And they will say to you, this is the body and blood of Christ given and shed for you. And then as you take the plate and you pass it on to your neighbor, we ask that you would say the same to them, The words are printed right there. This is the body and blood of Christ given and shed for you. And once everyone has been served, we'll eat and we'll drink together. Now, if you're here not as a believer and you can say, man, you know, I don't know about all this Jesus stuff. Like, I'm just not sure about it at this point. Thank you and praise God that you are here. If that's you today, we just ask that as the elements come by, you maybe bow your head for a word of prayer and allow them to pass uh, also, immediately after this, I'll close in prayer, and then after that, uh, we're going to sing a hymn, and as we sing that hymn, I get it, like some people are, are busy, we have a lot going on, lives are full, if you wanted to make an exit and you're not going to stick around, that would be the time to do so. But with that in mind, let's pause for a brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to gather as your people. Thank you for the Lord's Supper. God, this rite that you instituted so long ago and that we continue to this day, God, that ties us together to generations past of, of Christians and that ties us to your crucifixion, Jesus, where you died for the sins of the world and all who believe will receive the benefits of that forgiveness. God, I pray that you would work powerfully here today. I thank you for what we learned, God, through the parable of of the tenants and the good news of how you continue to come to us. You never stop coming to us, Father. I pray that that would continue and that you would continue to, to call us to repentance and to turn toward you and to confess because we know it is only in you that is forgiveness and salvation. So bless the rest of our time together here this morning. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog@gmail.com. at gmail.com. That's Pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.